I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning as found in Joshua chapter 5 and Joshua 6. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as long or as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. And he gave orders for the people. March around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. We'll continue with this story in just a moment, but for now, I want you to see what becomes of a story like this. Thank you. 
I know you guys know that song. I know you grew up singing that song. And aren't children's songs great? Thank you, Miss Marlene. And thank you, Abby. Aren't children's songs great? Except when they're wrong. Yeah, I said it. Children's songs are great except when they're wrong. Joshua did not fight the battle of Jericho. God did. In the second verse of that kid's song, the lyrics say, Right up to the walls of Jericho, they marched with spear in hand. Go blow them, ram horns, Joshua cried, because the battle is in my hands. How does that mesh with the story in Joshua chapter 6? Maybe verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its kings and all its strong warriors. Verse 16, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Joshua did not fight the battle of Jericho. God did. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great week. You may be thinking, Pastor James, that's all rhetoric. Of, of course we know that God fought it, but Joshua did too, right? It's it's all just wordplay. You know, Joshua chapter 6 is one of the best stories, in my opinion, in the Old Testament. It's got many lessons to teach us. And this past week, I once again was ask, asking God, God, what lessons do you want us to hear? Because you see, God, I have this plan of what I want to teach. But is that what you want? And God said, nope. I got something else I want you to teach. Ah, isn't that the way it works? You have your plan, you think your plan is good, but then God says, no, we're going to do it a different way. It's the way it worked in this story. You guys know I have never been in the military, okay? I think I'm too old to enlist now. Somebody said, yeah, thank you. I'm 36. Did I just miss it? Okay. Well, even without any sort of military training... Even without any education on the tactics of war, I can tell you that the plan that God laid out for the Battle of Jericho, at least in my opinion, was a pretty pathetic plan. Somebody in the military say amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. God tells Joshua, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. March around once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, march around seven times. Where is the sense in that? Militarily speaking? Hey, Mighty men of Israel, you that really haven't had much, you know, battle experience, let's go approach this fortified city that's on a hill, which is the most defensible type of city. Let's go approach it. This city that has two walls, the outer one being six feet wide, the inner one being 12 feet wide. Let's go up to it. Let's march around it once and then go home. Is that going to wear us out? Maybe. So let's do it again tomorrow. 
and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And on the seventh day, let's march around seven times. Let's go into battle just plain worn out. And on top of that, as you're walking around, let's put yourselves at risk of the archers that may be on the wall shooting down. Let's allow them to scout out our size, our strength, our weaponry, and maybe see some of our weaknesses. Let's listen to their taunts because, you know, maybe by day three or four, this terrified group of people are going to realize they're just walking around. Let's yell at them. Then after six days of one-a-day walkthroughs, we're going to go to a seventh day where we walk around seven times so that we're completely exhausted. Someone's going to blow a trumpet really loud and long, and we're all going to yell, sound good? Let's try and break the Seahawks' record for their stadium decibel level, and let's make walls fall down. Sound like a plan? Anybody? Hey, Mr. President, I I got it figured out for what we do with ISIS. We go and walk around them, and then we yell really loud. Anybody going to call that in? No! This does not sound like a good plan. Joshua chapter 6 is full of lessons for us to learn. I'm just going to hit on three of them today. And the first is this. You've got to yield to God. Yield to God. Do it His way. Go with His plan not yours. And sometimes that plan is way different than you expect. I was clued in on this when I read the verses leading up to Joshua chapter 6, the end of chapter 5. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one The man replied, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Again, not coming from a military background, but if I were leading the armies of Israel, And I'm about to enter into the first city in this this plan of taking over an entire country. And I came across the commander of the Lord's army. I would hope for a little bit of training in sword fighting. Yeah? Dude standing there with a big old sword. Would you train me, please? I would hope for some, you know, some bob and weave technique and how to dodge the arrows that are flying from the walls. I would hope for a little hand-to-hand combat training. But is that what Joshua got? No. What did Joshua get? The response, I'm not your friend or your foe, but I'm here to instruct you that you are embarking on a holy moment. I'm here to tell you that what you are about to experience is the God of the universe reaching down, grabbing evil by the throat, and God himself is going to fight the battle of Jericho. Take off your sandals, son, because where you're standing is a holy place. I don't know how much this has to do with swordplay so much as a holy moment. Now, where have you heard that command before? Moses, right? When God spoke from this bush and said, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground, and you are about to embark on this crazy plan to go into Egypt, tell Pharaoh to let the people go, and then bring them out and, and deliver this land that I promised to your ancestor Abraham. And yet we hear it again. 
Take off your sandals, Joshua. You're on holy ground. I am not going to give you fighting lessons. I'm here to point to God's work among you. Joshua, do not look toward advice for the victory and overlook a right relationship with the guide. Do not look just for advice on how to win, but look for that right relationship with the guide. Now, most scholars believe that the, the, the number six in your Bible that, that separates chapter five from the next chapter, it just it detracts from what actually is going on. They think it's just a continuation of the, the Lord of the, the commander of the Lord's army talking. So chapter six, verse two, the battle instructions make sense. Where the, the commander says, take off your shoes. Now listen to this. God is going to go before you. How do you know? Well, pick up the ark. Carry it. Remember we talked about this last week. That represented God's presence. His movement. So carry this ark in front of you while you walk around. Make sure it's where everyone else can see it. Have the priests walk in front of it. All of this. All of this is holy. This is a holy episode. So, First Church, when you go home this afternoon, take a look at the end of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6, and I want you to look at how many verses deal with the actual battle scene, and how many of the verses deal with God's plan and God's movement. I ask this because as I was thinking about this this past week, I thought, you know, if Hollywood were to make a movie of chapter 6, it would spend about the first five or ten minutes of that movie with the of the Lord's army giving Joshua some instructions and then the next hour and 50 minutes would be crazy battle stuff. I mean, that's what would sell, right? And yet in here, I'm going to give you a hint, only about a verse and a half, two-ish at most, actually deal with the battle scene. The rest of it is, this is God's doing. This is holy. It's as if God wanted to teach the Israelites the lesson that the Apostle Paul would later tell the church in Corinth. The overwhelming power comes from God, not us, the Apostle Paul said. So lesson number one from this story is yield to God, to His plan. Do it His way, not your way. Now let's think this through. Because if this is the first lesson that we're going to learn and we're going to buy into it, then we have really got to wrestle with what those outside the faith are going to see when they look at this story. If it's God's plan to completely demolish an entire city, the question is going to be asked, how could a good and loving God do that? Why on earth would you want to follow a God who allows massacre, who allows genocide? That's a fair question for those who are outside the faith. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, the beginning, Jericho. This is what Joshua says. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. So the Israelites, in verse 21, they responded. They completely destroyed everything in the city with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Anybody uncomfortable? Sounds like a massacre. Maybe sounds like genocide. Why, God, why? These are questions we must grapple with. 
We must wrestle. Okay? And here's the point where in this story we have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. I heard Chuck Bomar talk on this passage, and I'm indebted to, to how he pointed out the, the facts of genocide and massacre in this. Okay? So the question is, let's, let's rule a few things out. This is not genocide. Genocide is, is when, when a, a battle deals with race or ethnicity. Okay? It's, it's when you exterminate a specific group of people. It's like what Hitler was trying to do to the Jews. Jericho, if you know your history, and the land of Canaan, if you know your history, had all sorts of ethnicities, all sorts of people groups living in it. There was not just one specific people group. So that rules out genocide. Now what about massacre? The definition of massacre is when a stronger people oppress a weaker people. Is that what's taking place here? It's the opposite. You got this group of traveling, wandering nomads who are trying to figure out how to fight with swords they haven't used too much, and they've got their pitchforks and their rakes in the back from all the wandering in the, in the wilderness. This is a weaker group that actually beats a stronger group. So that rules out massacre. Now, I mentioned that Jericho was a fortified city, Right? And most scholars believe that it was a fortified military base. So as they've done their archaeological excavation, what they have found is, yes, the two walls. Okay? And there was some civilians inside that first wall. But on the inner wall, on the inside of that, they have found no proof of civilian life. Only military. So when the Israelites started to go into this land, they had to stop at the first military base to beat them. That's military strategy, right? This is the place that will fight you back. Let's stop it. Let's also not forget that the people on the inside of the walls, God gave them plenty of time to leave. God's instruction to the Israelite people, go and march around the city once. Then go back to camp. Okay, so there's going to be another, what, 10, 12, 15 hours for people to leave the city? Let's go do that again the next day. Another chance for the people to leave. Let's do it again. Another chance. God gave the people of Jericho six days to escape. But they didn't. I mean, verse 1 says that the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. You want to know what I think? And a lot of commentators agree with this. I think the people in Jericho knew why God was going to destroy them. I think they knew he was there to punish them. Why? Because they were an evil people. This was a grossly evil people. The, the name Jericho actually is believed to be derived from the word Yerak, which means moon, which is fitting because the city was famed for its shrines and pagan moon gods and goddesses. God, wow, goddesses. Was famed for that. Okay? Now the people living in Jericho and in the land of Canaan, they practiced extreme cruelty. Incest, idolatry, bestiality, cultic prostitution, and child sacrifice. They would burn their kids as sacrifice to their gods. This was an evil people. Now God knew this. 
And as I told you on day one of this series, God is in the business of evicting evil from this earth so that it can return to what he intended it to be in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 says this, Then uh, So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way back to the tree of life. God banished them. Why? Because evil had to be evicted. This place that the Israelites were about to conquer, this land, this upcoming conquest, it had nothing to do with how good the Israelites were. It had everything to do with how evil the people in there were. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 3, 4, and 5. But recognize today that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them and drive them out just as the Lord had promised. Now, after the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we are such good people. No, it is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity that you, such integrity that you are about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness. And to fulfill the oath that he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why was God killing entire cities? It was due to their own wickedness. We see that again in Leviticus chapter 18. The first 23 verses talk about forbidden sexual practices. And on verse 24, God says to the Israelites this. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways that I've just talked about. For the people I am driving out before you have defiled themselves in all of these ways. Because the entire land has become defiled, I am punishing the people who live there. I will cause the land to vomit them out. It's not like the people in America watched a rated R movie one night and God decided the next morning, I must smite them. This had been going on for a long, long time. In fact, listen to what God told Abraham when he was first giving him this promise of land that would be his. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. Verse 16. After four generations, so even beyond the 400 years, after four more generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. What we're seeing in this passage is not a God who quickly smites people, but a God who is patient. 
400 years of a loving father listening to the cries of his people as they're oppressed, enslaved, mistreated. Uh, Parents, raise your hand. Okay, How many of you would allow me to oppress, enslave, and mistreat your kids for four days? Four hours? Put your hand, Jeff. (laughs) Okay, one of you. Thank you. How many would you... (laughs) That's great. How many besides Jeff would let me oppress, enslave, and mistreat your kids for four hours? Four minutes? None of us. But you see a God who watches this for 400 years plus four more generations. God has been patient. And he had been patient long enough. It was time for him to drive the evil out of that region. God must evict evil to reconcile his people, his plan of bringing the people back to himself. Yes, people today can very fairly ask, how could we follow such a cruel, vengeful, and retaliatory God? But when you dig deeper into the story, you see a long-suffering, a patient, a loving God who gives people ample time to repent of their sins, to escape the coming demolishment of a city, and to make steps towards God himself. Rahab, she was one of those people. She did exactly what God was wanting. She turned from her sin. And she sought to live with God. So we're listening and learning from Joshua chapter 6. We're learning that, you know, Joshua didn't fight the battle. God did. Therefore, we need to go with God's plan, not ours. Second lesson is this. God will evict evil. God will evict evil. Now the third lesson comes in an interesting end to the story. Verse 26 in chapter 6. At that time, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of its youngest son, he will set up its gates. A fitting end to Jericho, yes? To this evil nation. It's a good end. Be cursed with you. But is that the end of the story? No. The town was rebuilt. At a great cost. 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 34. It was during his reign, Ahab's reign, that a man named Hiel, a man from Bethel, rebuilt Jericho. When he laid its foundations, it cost him the life of his oldest son, Abiram. And when he completed it and set up its gates, it cost him the life of his youngest son, Segub. This all happened according to the message from the Lord concerning Jericho, spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So the city was rebuilt, and God had a plan for it. If you continue in the story of Scripture, you get to see some pretty amazing things take place. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells this story about a man that, that got beat up. And he was left for dead on the side of the road, and two very religious people walked right by him. And yet a third man stopped. You know that story, yes? 
It's the story of the Good Samaritan. One of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's about mercy. A story from Jesus that taught about who is our neighbor. How we should interact with them. It's a story where Jesus challenges his listeners to act like the Samaritan. We today in our country have good Samaritan laws. If we help somebody, we can't be sued because we're helping them. Okay? This man was leaving Jerusalem on the way to where? Jericho. Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So a cursed city, now part of a story that deals with a cure. In a different story, Jesus tells the story of this wee little man, a short guy, right? Who wanted to see Jesus, so he climbed this tree. This man was a tax collector. Someone who wasn't exactly honest. Where did he live? Jericho. Okay? And this man's life was changed. Salvation visited his household, and one of Jesus' greatest lines was spoken in that town. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho, made his way through town, and had this encounter with the wee little man named Zacchaeus. A town that was cursed. Now seeing lives changed, forgiveness happened, Jesus enters a home and a heart from cursed to a cure. Matthew chapter 20. Mark chapter 10, Luke chapter 18. These are all passages that tell the story of the healing of blind Bartimaeus. This is the story that takes place when Jesus is about to enter Holy Week. And it talks about him coming up to a town and these men calling out on the outskirts of that town saying, Lord, save us, Lord, heal us. In each of those stories, it has the accounts of Jesus stopping. What do you want from me? I want to see. Jesus heals them. Where are they? You got to know the answer by, by now. What town are they Okay, good. Yes. They're in Jericho. A town that was once cursed. Jesus is turning into a place where there's a cure. Hey, First Church, don't ever rule out something that the world may view as cursed. Something that God may even at Himself at one time said, yeah, that's not a good thing. Don't ever rule it out because God has a way of redeeming cities. God has a way of redeeming regions. God has a way of redeeming people. And Jesus can bring the cursed to a cure. Amen? Okay, I told you a story last week about a mission trip and a wilderness trip where people were crossing a river. And they started their journey, right? Remember that story? On this trip, there was one young lady. I don't even remember her name. But she was a young lady that the youth pastor did not want to come on the trip. She had some physical disabilities. So he laid out all these benchmarks that he was bound and determined that she would not pass. There was an interview process. She passed it. He set these physical benchmarks of you got to walk so much each day and then you got to be able to run this march each day because we've got to survive in the wilderness. And she passed those two. He had, I mean, she had to come. She earned it. So she came. 
Okay? And within the first two or three days, she lagged so far behind, we always had to have somebody back there so she wouldn't get you know, taken out by a cougar or something. And people would mumble. And people would complain about how far back she was. She's slowing us down. And, and this whole, like, why did we let that physically challenged person come with us? But see, then days three and days four and days five hit. And those were miserable days. We were short on water. We were constantly going uphill. And that young lady with physical disabilities actually ended up passing these kids who were now whining and complaining because it was so hard. And she was encouraging them to keep coming as she walked by them. Now, by the end of the trip on day seven, we end every trip with a bead ceremony. And the kids had the right to give two beads away. Four different leadership qualities. They could, they could give somebody a bead and say, I saw this in you. Every single kid gave that little girl a bead on leadership. Here's a blue bead for you. You led. And we're a different team because of you. From cursed to a cure. Don't ever rule out somebody. Because God can redeem things. Jericho. A city that Joshua did not destroy. God did. A city that had to have evil evicted and a city, though cursed by Joshua, a city that moved from cursed to a cure. So what do we do with this? It's the ever-present so what at the end of a sermon. And I told you there was three lessons that we learned from this story. I want to have three sets of questions that we wrestle with. The first is this. Are there places in your life that you need to yield to God's plan? Are there things that you're thinking, well, I want to do it this way, but God wants you to do it a different way? Is it time for you to realize there's a holiness in this moment? And let's make sure we're right with the guide instead of just trying to figure out how do we finish this well. Your life is God's. He can do with it what he wants. So you may as well yield to his plan. Second set of questions is this. Is there evil in your life? Is there sin in your life that needs evicting? If so, you can wait for God to come and evict it. Okay, but as evidenced by falling walls, death, and destruction in Joshua chapter 6, my advice would be, okay, let's just deal with it now. Let's take some time to confess. Confess to God. Confess to a friend. And then watch. Because like Rahab, who sought to live with God and his people, God's going to do some amazing things. When you recognize, okay, God, i got to get rid of this. Let's see what you have to do here. Finally, third question or third set of questions. Are there places in your life that you deem as cursed? Maybe things that uh, you think God could never use or never work through. Look at a once cursed city and look at what God did in and through that city. If he can do that to a city, he can do that to an individual. So let him. Let him move from curse to cure in your own life. 
And then again, step back and watch in amazement. Lots of questions that we can let settle. And hopefully you let them settle today and into this next week. We're going to sing one more song. Think about which of those three areas you may need to address today. Let's pray. Lord God, this is, uh, this is a great story. A story that we know. That we have sung. Uh, that we have told to our kids. And a story today that reminds us or teaches us several things. So God, what is it that you want us to hear as individuals and as a church? I don't know the answer for that, Lord, but I trust that you do and that you will speak. We ask that we wouldn't just listen, but that we would listen and respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand with us as we worship. I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only go at His right hand. Stands one who is my Savior. I take Him at His word indeed. Christ died to save me, this I read. And in my heart I find a need of Him to be my Savior. That He would place on high and come for sinful men to die you count as strange so once did I before I knew my Savior my Savior loves my Savior is my Savior is always there for me my caddy was, my caddy is, my caddy's always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My caddy was, my caddy is, my caddy's always gonna be. Yes, living, dying, let me bring. My strength, my solace from the spring. That he who lives to be my king. Once died to be my savior. That he would leave his place on high. For sinful men to die, you count it strange. So once did I, 
Before I knew my Savior, my Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God is always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God is always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God is always gonna be. My Savior loves, my Savior lives, my Savior's always there for me. My God, He was, my God, He is, my God is always gonna be. skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at His right hand stands one who is my Savior. A lot to think about as we go forward from here. we got formation hour. We'll start at 11 o'clock in here. That gives us 20 minutes to go and eat, uh, enjoy somebody's company, ask them how their week was. Uh, kids, don't forget, bring your bulletins up here. We'll get you some candy. And those that are sticking around for donuts with me, stick around for donuts with me. Let's make sure that we uh, wrestle with the things God wants us to wrestle with. And this week, as you do, may God bless you and protect you. May he smile upon you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen? Amen. Amen.